Today is the first in our bio series where we're gonna hear stories from members of our community that have shaped them and then how these stories continue to shape us. So if you have not met them yet, um, Darren, you'll most often see him at Destination Sabbath School. He's, he's leading there as, um, as one of our teachers. Um, he's also one of our five co-associate lead elders associate lead elder team, and you'll also see him at the Food Pantry Plus, where Liz is our director of our Food Pantry Plus that, that happens across the street on Sierra Vista every Wednesday morning. Amen? I'm so excited that you're going to get to hear from Darren and Liz today about how God has led and guided them. And Darren and Liz, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Welcome. Good morning, let's have a word of prayer first. Dear kind and loving Heavenly Father, I invite your presence. Please come and stand with us today, dear Lord. Open our hearts. Open our minds, dear Lord, and as we share our experiences, help us to have only one goal, to give you glory, but also to be a blessing to those who hear today. Thank you for coming, dear Lord, for we ask these things in your name. Amen. There's a verse or a quote from Ellen G. White that means a lot to our family, especially in light of what we will be discussing today. It goes like this, we have nothing to fear of the future, except we shall forget how the Lord has led us and his teachings in the past. When I was 12 years old, my grandmother was recovering from surgery in my parents' home. One day while using the restroom, she fell off the toilet seat. She fainted. Let me explain. My grandmother was a heavyset lady, and our family bathroom was small. We tried getting into the door to help her, but her body was blocking the door. So I went around the house, outside the house, and climbed to a small window bathroom shower to let myself in. I found my grandmother laying on the floor, covered in feces and in blood. My mother was knocking desperately for me to let her in, and I couldn't let her see my grandmother like that. So I splashed water on my grandmother's face, and as she was regaining consciousness, uh, with her help, I was able to sit her back, give her a shower, clean her up, and clothe her. After that, I opened the door for my mother. I tell you this as a 12-year-old girl, God was leading me into action in time of crisis. When our life began at Latterman Developmental Center, uh, we worked with a severely uh, handicapped Down syndrome. That it's amazing for the, the, the time that I spent there, the many years that I worked, <clears throat> Liz and I never crossed paths. We never met. Then one day, Joey comes running to me and wanted me to have a blind date. And says, I met a lady that I'd be perfect for you. 
Yes, yes, he has, he has three kids. Ruben's 11, Christopher is six, and um, Nicole is four. And the older boy is a real brat. He's really, really protective of his mother. But don't worry about him. When you guys get together, chances are Liz is going to send him to live with his father, and you will have her all to yourself. <laughs> the younger kids will have no problem with you. But after a few dates, what attracted me most to this lady standing beside me is that she included me in her life. She trusted me. She even asked my counsel. There wasn't anything going on with the kids who I really did not know that she would not share with me. As though I was already a part of her life. Well, Joey was right. <laughs> Reuben was guarded, stubborn. I had to earn his trust. And so, as first outing as a family, I decided to take them to San Diego, first to Wild Animal Park, and then to the beach. My kids were horrible the whole way on that trip. <laughs> they were just horrible. Usually my kids were well-mannered and courteous, but this time they took it all. They fought, they yelled at each other, they pinched each other, and they kept asking, when are we getting there? Through this whole experience, um, we, stayed, we stayed there two days with them, and on the way back, on the way back to our home, I heard the conversation. We had a wonderful time. We should do this again. <laughs> the kids laughed and enjoyed themselves, and I just moved my head. Imagine the shock. <laughs> so after 12 months of dating, we had a meeting with the kids and discussed the possibility of marriage. Ironically, I asked the older son, could I ask, could I marry his mother? He graciously said, yes, because you make my mother happy. So we were married on August 30, 1996. My husband and I were working at Patton, and he had come day, one day into my office and informed me that a close friend of mine uh, for many years was re retired and um, ill. My friend's name was Sue Tauby. She was a very private person, very stubborn person, and she didn't want anybody to know that she had stomach cancer, stage four. So a friend of ours, Christine, and myself, showed up at her house unannounced. She opened the door hesitantly. She didn't want to let us in, but we muscled our way in, and we told her, we're here to help. We don't care what you say or anything. So Christine stayed for a couple of days to help her get situated, and she had to return back uh, to Northern California where her family and she worked. I stayed with my friend. I couldn't leave her by herself, even though it was just one month after she passed away. I think this taught me patience and strength of character. My friend Sue was not a believer. She smoked heavily, she drank coffee all day, and she didn't want to eat. 
But the last two weeks of Sue's life, she was placed in hospice care. And this private, stubborn lady named me as her next of kin. She didn't have no family here in California. So after her death, I contacted her brother in Ohio to come and pick her body so that she could lay rest with her mother and sister in Ohio. Following her death in April, I quickly went to Paris, uh, which is our retirement agency for work. The reason I wanted to retire early is because I didn't want to end up like Sue. She had worked 36 years and she had only enjoyed, well not enjoyed because she was sick, four months of her life after she passed away. <sighs> Little did I know that the Lord was preparing me for what was to come. After Les retired, we needed a break after the Sioux incident. So I took her to Italy uh, for two weeks. And, I, and we had only one goal, to travel and to spend time with family. But little did I know at the time that a storm of illness was brewing that involved both my sons. While at church, though, Pastor Chris approached me and stated, and actually he told Liz, Liz, I heard you retired. I have plans for you. Pastor Chris' plans was for me to take a tour of the wellness warehouse and the food pantry plus. She specifically wanted me to go to the wellness warehouse and to help out there. But the program director of the Food Pantry Plus, Norman Powell, took me on a tour, but we never made it to the wellness warehouse. I began to learn uh, the services that the Food Pantry provided in its operations. On November 1st, 2019, while I was here at church, I received a phone call from my eldest son, Reuben. He told me, prepare yourself, mom, sit down. I've just been diagnosed with a rare kind of stomach cancer, stage four. Reuben was only 36 years old. The news took my breath away and Darren and I braced ourselves. Same cancer as my friend Sue Tobby. On November 19th of 2019, I flew to San Antonio to be with my son and his family. But before I left, I remember telling Darren, I'm not giving up, I'm not gonna break down. The Lord will help us. Before I left to San Antonio, Teresa Vanderpool and I were talking and she went and got Pastor Debo to come and pray for me. From that day on, Pastor P. Debo became my go-to pastor. He would text me from time to time and check on me and my family through the whole entire months that I was, six months that I spent in uh, Texas. While I was in, in Texas caring for Reuben and his family, this was precious time. I got very close with my grandkids. But during this time also, the Food Pantry Plus volunteers became family to me. They became my support system. Um, but also due to Reuben's chemotherapy treatment and lots of prayers, his cancer was being eradicated. So I 
decided to come back to my husband, who I, I left alone for six months. It is not good for men to be alone. <laughs> Upon this, as we turn from Texas, Norman and Roxy Powell <laughs> invited us for lunch to discuss the possibility of becoming directors of the Food Pantry Plus. But due to the health crisis with our son, we declined. We declined, and I had guilty feelings. But later that month, I couldn't shake my guilty feelings. And in my dream, the Lord came to me loud and clear and told me, why are you worried of being about a director and caring for your son? I will direct you to handle both. I am your strength, no matter where you are. So within that week, I informed our man Powell that he could retire. But however, he needed to stay and mentor me until my husband retired from work. Thank you, Norm. During Ruben's remission period, Christopher, our middle child, became a great support to my older son who was ill. But Christopher did not know that he himself would be afflicted with cancer as well. But during this time, they spent holidays and birthdays together. They made up excuses to spend time together. Please understand, my oldest son, Reuben, and Christopher had different personalities, different ways of looking at life, they couldn't be more different. But during this time, they put their differences aside and they became family without us being there. They did not know at that time that both of them would be spending their last years of life. But I believe that this was their best years as brothers. So in December 2021, I finally retired from Patton, and we all gathered together, uh, as was our custom for Christmas, at, in San Antonio at Ruben's house. These were very precious times for us during this time, but we did not know this would be our final Christmas together as a family. Shortly after, shortly after Christmas, we got the news that Christopher contracted COVID-19 and had been admitted into the hospital. Please understand something. Christopher is used to doing this. One time he broke his arm and was admitted into the hospital and didn't tell anybody. We found out by mistake. He was just like that. And so when we found out that he was admitted for COVID-19 due to his age and good health, we thought it wasn't serious, and that with treatment, he would recover. Therefore, Elizabeth, Nicole, and I returned to California. But the news got worse. His wife called us and informed us that the doctors had found cancer in his spine, his liver, and spleen. We couldn't believe it. The doctors 
were telling him that he didn't have the markers of cancer and he didn't have the symptoms. But finally, in March 22, we received the final diagnosis. Christopher had angiosarcoma stage four. The cancer was all over. Our son had just celebrated his 33rd birthday. Both of us, Darren and I, rushed to Texas, Conroe, Texas, to be with Christopher and his family. This time, we would not return to California until the death of both of our sons. During this time, I became extremely close to my grandkids. I noticed the devotion between Christopher and his wife, Isamar. But during this time, Reuben took a turn for the worst. So in June 2022, we had to leave Chris and return to San Antonio, Texas at Reuben's request. He was calling for us. We immediately called our daughter Nicole to come and help Chris in Conroe and his family while we went to Reuben in San Antonio to be with him and his family. In the last, the last days of Reuben's life, it was full of blessings. Reuben and I talked about the Lord, about his coming, and about seeing each other again in resurrection morning. He was able to spend quality time with friends and family. As my son being a military man, his last request was to see the movie Maverick with Tom Cruise. His wife, Deanna, rented a, a private theater and invited 30 close friends and family. I didn't watch the movie. I kept watching my son. He kept smiling. He was attentive to the movie. And I kept watching my husband, who was also watching my son, our son. It was precious time. One night, as I usually sat by Reuben, I sat next to him, and he started saying, Mom, I'm drowning. Mom, I'm drowning. And then I replied, what do you do when you're drowning? And Reuben replied, I call on Jesus. Shortly after that, he, had an, uh, he was sleeping and had a dream. And he woke up and he said, Mom, I dream about this little girl who took me by my hand to this beautiful place full of light and peace. What do you think, Mom? What do you think that means? So I replied to him, were you afraid? Were you worried? And he answered, no. It was as if I had known this little girl my entire life. So I told Reuben, next time you see her, follow her. That is how God is presenting himself to you in the safest form as a little girl. Reuben passed away two days later after that dream he had. We were allowed to have a private viewing of his body at the mortuary. I remember feeling that this is impossible for me to handle. I can't do it. But when we went into the private room where his body lay, a remarkable, extremely powerful feeling came over us 
as we viewed his body. All we can talk about was the resurrection morning and how wonderful it would be to see him again. We did not mourn the way I expected to. I guess I know from experience that in my weakness and in my sorrow, God is even more powerful and overrules my feelings. He loves me, and he's always with me, especially now. The last week of Christopher's life, Darren and I spent a lot of time in his bedroom. He would often ask Darren, Dad, can you pray for me? And of course, Darren would pray. The last two, three days uh, of his life, Christopher was having a hard time breathing. And he had oxygen, but he refused to use the oxygen. And he would ask his dad, Dad, help me sit up so I can breathe. And Darren would help him sit up, talk to him. Um, one day, the day before he died, I came into his room. I don't know where his wife was. I think she was in the bathroom. Uh, Christopher was staring, staring up at the ceiling. And I looked up when I went into the room. And I said, Chris, what are you staring at? What are you looking at? And he said, I'm looking at God, Ma. I smiled and kissed him on his forehead. And he said in a, in a low voice, if God wants me, who am I to deny him? Christopher passed away the next day, October 6th, exactly three months after his brother Ruben passed. When my boys died, it was painful and difficult. But I still thank God for his miracles of letting them live their lives. They feared and loved God. But my wife didn't tell me by holding my son up and helping him breathe. They pulled my back out and I was out for six months. Matter of fact, it still hurts. But I didn't care. As a nurse, I should have better body mechanics. But I didn't care. I just loved holding my son and spending these last moments with him. While in Texas, I asked Christopher, how would you like to be remembered? Christopher responded, I want to be remembered as a good son, a good man, and a good father. And most of all, a good husband. I was asked once, what keeps you here in California? Since your family suffered such loss, would it not be good to move to Texas to be with your grandkids? My answer is this, there is no better place than here. We thank God for the pastoral staff who loved us and supported us with endless love and support. We thank this congregation and the Food Pantry Plus family for each card, each text, each flower sent. We thank God for our game club, book club, and for all the prayers and well, and well wishes. 
I thank you, Ivan, for being here today. I called him late in the week and told him I was going to be presenting. He says I would be here. Thank you, Ivan, for being here. When I was on my way to Texas for the last trip of my son's life, I had to travel alone. But God sent Josh Aquiano to me. Aquiano. Aquiano. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> Spanish. He sent Josh to me. Same airport. We even took the same plane. I wasted my money going first class. But it was the same plane, but going in different directions. If I, if I have not told you, Josh, I thank you for that time of sitting together and crying and just sharing. You have no idea how much you helped me. We are not alone. Thank you, each one, for having our backs. Please stand for the reading of the word. O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any longer, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. The word of God. You may be seated. Darren and Liz, you have lived through something that most of us spend our whole lives running away from. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. In our text today, in Isaiah chapter 30, the prophet is encouraging the people of Judah not to run away. Don't run away. It's the eighth century, over 700 years before Jesus, and everyone feared the Assyrians at that time. In 722 BCE, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. They were the most powerful nation at the time. So the royal counselors in Jerusalem, the, the southern kingdom that was left over the kingdom of Judah, they were wondering what to do. And all the royal counselors were saying, we need to make an alliance with Egypt. Egypt, Assyria, Assyria is the most powerful. They've already gone after the kingdom of Israel, north of us. We need to make an alliance with Egypt. They kept saying that and pressing that. And Isaiah kept saying, no, don't do it. Do not make that alliance. It wasn't a good idea. Isaiah said, God said, this is not a good idea. Trust in God. Do not make that alliance. Egypt won't be able to help you. Don't run away to Egypt, God said. Instead, Isaiah 30 and verse 15, 
Isaiah says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Don't run to Egypt, God says. Rest in me. Trust in me. Darren and Liz have had plenty of opportunities to run. Darren, you could have been scared off by those kids. Liz, you could have run from your grandma in the restroom. You could have run from your friend facing death. You could have run from your sons in their hour of need. You both could have run from Norman and Roxy Powell. <laughs> you tried to, yes, they tried to run. But you returned. You returned and you found rest in God in that ministry. Isaiah does not promise an easy road, but he does say, your eyes will see your teacher. Your eyes will see your teacher. In their 30s, dying from cancer, Reuben and Christopher both saw God. For Reuben, it was in the form of a little girl. For Christopher, it was God present there on his deathbed. For Darren and Liz, it was God showing up in a dream, encouraging Liz, you can care for your family and you can serve the church for Food Pantry Plus. It was God showing up at the airport in the form of Josh Angiano. It was God reminding them of the promises at the mortuary. God showed up in the midst. I wanna say something right now in this moment. Liz said when we were preparing for this day, she said she's not one to question why. She just is one to move forward and do the next thing that God calls. But for those of you who might be questioning why and have this in your heart right now, I wanna say, I do not believe that it was God who gave them cancer. I wanna say that. Sometimes we see this language in the Bible in fact, in this very text, Isaiah uses this language. Isaiah says, though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. He uses that language. But friends, God is not an abusive parent. In the Sermon, of, in the sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, no parent would give their child a stone instead of bread. No parent would give their child a snake instead of a fish. Jesus says our heavenly Father gives good gifts. And in that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us a prayer. It's the prayer that we say at the end of every service. It's the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, if we have to pray for it, it means it's not happening right now. Everything that happens is not God's will. Now, if you have questions about that and you wanna, you're curious about that, you've not heard about that, there's two books I'd like to recommend for you today. One is called, Is God to Blame? by Gregory A. Boyd. And the other is called, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. If, if you're not one, if, if like Liz, you're not one to question why, you may not need to read these books. Um, if you have some questions, these are some places to think about this. Isaiah promises that when the worst thing happens, when the thing happens that you spent your life avoiding and running away from, when that thing happens, even then, in the midst of that, 
you will see God. Isaiah 30, verse 21 says, and when you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When we were having Eleanor, Pastor Devo and Leilani Kritzinger gave us a book. The book is called, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. I know so many of you have read this book. If you see our copy of the board book, you would be able to tell we've read it a few times. It's been Eric's favorite bedtime book for a while, and I love to skip parts. I try so hard to skip the parts, but he won't let me. So whether it's the long wavy grass, the deep cold river, the thick oozy mud, the big dark forest, the swirling whirling snowstorm, or the narrow gloomy cave, we have to do the whole book. And we have to say, we can't go over it, we can't go under it, we have to go. Someone has forced you to read this book as well a million times. <laughs> Isaiah says, don't run away. Don't run away, rest, trust. You've got to go through it. When you try to run away to Egypt, when you turn to the left or the right, there'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Don't run away, rest. My kids have been doing some swimming lessons. And it's amazing that the hardest thing to learn when you're learning how to swim is how to float. Why? You have to get your head all the way back in the water. You have to rest knowing that somehow that water is going to hold you up. You have to stop struggling so that you can float on that water. God says, don't run away. Rest. You have to go through it. And Isaiah says, it's there that you will see God. You will see your teacher. I'm reading a book right now by Seth Gillihan called Mindful Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. I highly recommend it. Gilligan talks about the ways that we try to run from reality and offers practical ideas for what this resting looks like. One of them is a simple breath prayer. Okay, you don't want to go through it. Whatever it is, you want to escape it. You don't want to face those dirty dishes. Whatever it is. Whatever the thing is that you do not want to go through today. One simple tool that he shared, a simple breath prayer. Breathe in, I am. Breathe out, here. Breathe in, I am. Breathe out, here. Be present in that moment. Rest in that moment. And the beautiful thing I love about this prayer is that as we affirm that we are here, that I am here, that you are here, we affirm that the I am is here in this moment with us. You will have affliction. Isaiah, Jesus does not promise an easy road. But the promise is that in the midst of that very road, in the going through it, it's there that you will see God. So my question I'm leaving with you today is what are you running away from? Can you rest? Can you trust God? Because there you will see your teacher.